Hey, hey, all you Arizona lovers, this is the Finding Arizona podcast, episode number 263. I am your host, Jose. Thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is the owner and uh, instructor of Cocktail U of Arizona. I am very excited to introduce you to Eddie Garcia. And he is just a friendly guy, also very knowledgeable. Like he was kind of like a historian. Um, I learned a lot. We enjoyed just kind of, you know, reminiscing through his career uh, he is a veteran to the cocktail and bartending world so we hope that you enjoy this episode so we're going to jump into a little bit of the business side you can hear every episode of finding arizona podcast at our website finding we make it easy for you guys to join us on social media everything is under finding arizona podcast twitter instagram facebook find us and let us know who you want in next last but not least if you want to become a super fan you can go do so at patreon.com sign up for one of those tiers you'll get some bonus content in return like our bonus podcast called fine examination 50 questions where we fill up with fun with our guests of the week and they go through the ringer of answering all of them fast pace fun we always enjoy ourselves that ends the business side of the podcast intro but now is my favorite part of the podcast is the community cork board so if you want to send us an event you can go do so at finding arizona podcast at gmail.com you can uh send us what you think would be a good shout out through this little intro here or you can just send us a line and just let us know um something that you want to be seen and it'll be like the following events coming up this this weekend first up is the uh, november walk through zoo lights by srp you can it's my favorite time of year where they do the lights and uh it's just a, a fun little way of like enjoying time with your family and little events like this that make the holidays a little bit more joyous so you can go do so at the phoenix zoo and you can go walk through and this is taking place every weekend so this weekend uh saturday and sunday from uh, uh, 5.30 to 10.30 p.m. Next up is a socially distanced holiday market on Grand Avenue. So all up and down the downtown uh, Grand Avenue area will be a outdoor holiday market featuring local vendors. And uh, the event will take place at Bragg's Pie Factory parking lot on Grand Avenue in downtown Phoenix. Uh, We hope that you enjoy it. It is taking place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Last but not least on our community corkboard is the dinosaur drive-through over at Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park. Um, today, taking place this weekend, um, also all month long till the 29th, you can go down to the uh, Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park uh, and enjoy it from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. And that is for all families, all ages. It is a dinosaur drive-through featuring traveling dinosaur experience that's both educational and uh, entertains everyone. So hope that you enjoy that this weekend or the upcoming weekends. That ends our community cork board. And I hope that you guys enjoy this episode with Eddie Garcia of Cocktail U of Arizona. I will catch you on the next episode.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Finding Arizona podcast. I am your host, as always, Jose, and we bring in very special guests every week, and today is no different. Ladies and gentlemen, the creator behind Cocktail U of Arizona, and he's not only the lead instructor and creator, and he's just all around everything. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Garcia. Thank you for joining us, Eddie. Hey, thank you, Jose. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you on the show and I'm glad to have you a part of this. Um, One of the questions that I'm asking everyone now is, can you give us a little update on your life with COVID going on and how's the family going and how's everything in your life been since, you know, all this craziness happened? Well, you know, myself and my family are very, very blessed. Um, We're so fortunate. Um, We first got furloughed at Sanctuary, which is where I recently left from, Mm -hmm. and uh, the finances still kept coming in. Uh, The flip side to COVID is that I've been able to spend a lot of time with my son through the homeschooling, through the little break that they had last year before the school year ended, and then the first part of this year. So I think COVID has really allowed all of us to kind of just slow down for about two, three months. Um, Might have been a little tight as far as finances, uh, might have gotten after each other a little bit, but in the end, we were able to reset, figure out what was really important to us, and um, kind of uh, go for it after that. Good, good to hear, and I'm really glad for it because I myself am going through, like you know, everyone else, we're all going through a different transition in life and right now, and it's not every, it's not an everyday thing, it's not an everyday situation. So I can definitely um, attest to that. I. I haven't told many people this, but, you know, we're starting to become more out about it. My wife and I um, both had contracted COVID and it's just from oh, wow. her, her work with um, healthcare, And that's what she does for a living. So, you know, we were kind of in isolation, but we didn't want to be, you know, we weren't shouting it to the to the heavens about it. But we were just kind of like, OK, let's be safe. Let's do everything that we're being told to do. And and just kind of uh, isolate ourselves and quarantine ourselves in our home. So, you know, we were lucky, um, you know, we're both kind of lucky that we can do a little bit of work from home and do as much as we can from home. But, you know, it's, it's a different mentality. You're home, you're, you know, isolated, you, you know, you're kind of like a caged animal a little bit, but uh, I definitely uh, have different, like it's a transition. You, you work through it. No, for sure. And I think obviously this has all affected everybody uh, very differently. And um, I think that uh, I know that my life is certainly uh, a lot more fortunate than maybe some other people's lives. And we just, I mean, we just really have to thank God for that. And um, we're really, really really fortunate. Yeah. So I'm very, um, I'm encouraged by, you know, your mentality and what you've been through as far as recently. So I'm kind of encouraged to kind of ask you more about uh, what you have here with uh, Cocktail U and and just kind of understand it a little bit more from your perspective, because I actually read an article um, through Arcadia Times, I believe it was written through, you kind of had a mixology, they kind of went through your mixology 101 class or just kind of understanding it, but I want to unfold it a little bit more and can you give us a little bit of your origin story and how you came into the world of teaching mixology and 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 um you know the world of drinks <laughs> okay well cocktail you is an offspring of uh the sanctuary program mixology 101 and that we feel was the um 
best uh, cocktail class, weekly class that you could go to in the Phoenix metro area while it was going on. Uh, I did it for six years at Sanctuary. And we talked about different subjects such as bourbon, tequila. Uh, we talked about drink structure towards the end. We talked about uh, cocktails such as Sours and Collins's and, and uh, uh, old fashioned style uh, uh, drinks. Um, and as uh, when we first started uh, Mixology 101, it had actually been started with some great bartenders before me, uh, Jason Asher, who is now at Undertow and Century Grand, Michael Olson, who's the lead mixologist for AZ Distilling, uh, Jillian Voss, who's the beverage director for uh, Dead Rabbit in uh, Manhattan, Tyson Bueller, who is uh, Death & Co's beverage director. So these are all great names in the beverage industry that started Mixology 101. I was fortunate enough to kind of, once they left, to kind of bring it along. Um, and as the years went by, our classes got bigger and bigger, and we started doing corporate gigs inside Sanctuary. And then uh, little by little, in the past year and a half, two years, people started asking, hey, would you do this in my house? Or, you know, could you do this at somebody's home? And it started getting to be asked so frequently that I said, you know what, this may be something here. And so we developed Cocktail U. Um, and uh, most recently in September, I left Sanctuary in order to devote full time to it. I had a great run at Sanctuary, seven years, two years as a bartender, five years as a bar manager. Uh, but uh, we thought that uh, this was could be something special yeah. uh, to do in-home mixology classes, maybe a little consulting, some corporate events. So really fun. I can't imagine what the corporate events are like because I just I've only ever heard these kind of corporate events mentality of like it, it's different. Can you give us a little bit of uh, highlights from from those corporate well, the events? Well, the corporate event is just like, it is like anything else. You have a group of people. Um, uh, we had a corporate event early in February and sometimes cocktail you partners with restaurants uh, across the Valley. Okay. And so we basically say, you know, we have a group here and uh, they'd like to eat and they like to have a mixology class. So we take the class to them and um, it's really a great, great partnership with cocktail you and a lot of restaurants. Uh, Flint by Bellator on 24th street in Camelback. Cause we had that particular event. Yeah. We came in, we did the class. Um, uh, each class comes with three cocktails, uh, three to four cocktails. And uh, then they ate. And it's just a fun time. You know, really, what we want people to have, first and foremost, is fun. Yeah. Hopefully, they learn something. And if it's really good, then they go away inspired and just say, hey, you know what? I could do this at home. And really, that's a, the mission of Cocktail You is really to get these things that we see going on behind the bar and simplify it and have people understand uh, that they can actually do this at home. Yeah. And there was a quote in there uh, from that one article I was reading that I thought was so fascinating where you kind of go into the weeds or the history about um, cocktails and the name, the naming behind cocktails and um, the story behind the prohibition and how people kind of the cocktail name came to be. Can you give us a little bit behind well, that? Cocktail, um, the actual word cocktail is actually the name of one drink. Um, in the same way that martini used to be the name of one drink, but now anything that comes in this glass that looks like this right here yeah. is now called a martini, chocolate yeah. martini, cucumber martini, kind of martini. Yeah. Cocktail was the original drink that consisted of a spirit of some sort, mm -hmm. a little bit of sugar, and something new that came around the 1800s called bitters. Now, we all know bitters by now, and if we put whiskey and sugar and bitters together, what do we have? Sugar, bitter, old-fashioned? 
It's an old fashioned, exactly. But the name of that drink actually was first considered cocktail. Ah, okay? And that's okay. what they named it. After cocktail became a generic term, meaning any kind of drink, let's go out for cocktails, hand me a cocktail, can I buy you a cocktail, give me a cocktail before I shoot somebody. <laughs> People would have to designate that particular drink by saying, I would like a cocktail made the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And that's where the world world old fashioned comes from. Or that's gotcha. where the old fashioned comes from. Uh, they think that cocktail might have come from something, well, a cockerel or a barrel. And at the bottom of that was a little spigot where the bartender would drain it from. And that barrel was used to get rid of old ice, dump out whatever was left in his mixing glass. And it kind of all kind of collected down below. And if you were somebody that didn't have, you know, the proper money for a real drink, you could go and you could empty out that little bit that was at the bottom of the barrel. Uh, And and so it was a tale of the cockerel is what some people think. Other people think it comes from a, a mixed breed of horse. So, but um, those are a couple of things that, you know, the interesting about drinking history is everybody's drinking, right? Yes. So, you know, sometimes, <laughs> the, story, sometimes the stories are not always the same. So, <laughs> What has been kind of your favorite history tidbit about, uh, because I know for me, it was um, learning about how the pilgrims landed here in this area because they ran out of beer and wanted to re- refill up. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stories like that. And, you know, we have to remember that spirits are very essential throughout world history, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that we don't that we take for granted these days is a uh, clean water system. Now, regardless of what you may think Phoenix water tastes like, you certainly are not using the same water source for drinking Mm -hmm. and cooking and bathing and cleaning and sewage. And that's what used to have to happen back in those days. Yeah. So what they would do, it was they add a little bit of spirit to whatever water they were about to uh, drink and it would make it potable. It would kill any pathogens or bacteria that might've been in there. And that's why a lot of spirits in other countries are called water of life. So you have Eau de Vie when, you, when you're talking about uh, France and brandy. Jezna uh, Voda is the word for vodka. Um, and all those things mean water of life. Yeah. That's awesome. And that, yeah. it's good that you have such a strong grasp of that history and kind of understanding it and can distill it for lack of a better word. To that's, that's a great word. I, I love that word. <laughs> yeah. Who can, uh, who's a layman like myself, who can just kind of take those tidbits and, and understand it, which is really great. And it says a lot about you as a trainer and instructor as well. Do you like teaching that way through like, you know, a little bit of education, a little bit of fun? Well, I mean, like I said, our focus is fun, but there's a lot of interesting things, a lot of uh, interesting things about spirit and cocktail history. Mm-hmm. My original, uh, when I was back in my early 20s and a young man and had all my hair, um, my original desire was to actually coach basketball and be a history teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, so it kind of lends, it kind of, you know, I, I have a, one of my strengths is context. And so learning how things come to be has really always been very important to me, regardless of if it was spirits or anything else. Yeah. So, but yeah, I do like teaching that way. When we teach uh, a cocktail you class, we uh, like to, first of all, start off with a drink mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than going to a drinking class and having a way to drink. Yep. But then we sit down and we talk to the uh, guests about that particular drink. Mm-hmm. what it has in it, where's it's, where it's from, um, where are the origin stories of that particular cocktail. 
Um, and obviously, if it's a spirit uh, such as bourbon or tequila, those all have very, very rich histories. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing you, you when you go through spirits history, like any other history, nothing is uh, purposeful. Nothing is uh, meant to be. It's all by a series of events that happen uh, that actually bring things to to fruition when it comes to spirits. Yeah, that's so fascinating, too, because if you really think about it, you know, it's kind of true. I mean, who would have thought that uh, just, you know, letting grapes sit out and, and, you know, crushing them would, you know, go through the series of methods to bring out kind of that distilled grape flavor into um, a spirit like wine? Who would have thought that that would be the case, like just letting them well, ferment? Like well, yeah, that. you know, when you think about when you think about wine, and that's a great example, and, and, and about an example that I learned is that when you're talking about wine, you know, well, how did that come to be? Well, it could have been, and we don't know this for sure, it could have been that there is some pre-homo sapien type person, or maybe a very early homo sapien who would get some grapes, and he would eat some, and he would gather more, and because he couldn't eat more than he gathered, he would hide them. Mm. So where he would hide them, he would put them in a place and maybe stuff them in there. The seal of the skin breaks. Now you have enough, and the thing about wine is you have enough yeast on the outside of a grape and enough sugar on the inside of the grape to start the fermentation process. Hmm. He goes back a little bit later to drink and eat some of this stuff. We already have some alcohol being produced, yeah. right? Yeah. So now that's just some, again, he wasn't purposely thinking, Mo, I really like to have some wine to, you know, end my day off with. No, it was a matter of, it was, it was basically, um, uh, it was by accident. And you see things happening like that all over the spirits world. The reason why bourbon is in Tennessee and Kentucky isn't it because they said, well, this sounds like a great place to grow corn. Uh, (laughs) You know, what happened was, is there was something called the Corn Patch and Cabin Act. And what that meant was after the Revolutionary War, the United States offered 400 acres to anyone who would go west of the Appalachian Mountains to stake a claim. It was their way of populating the rest of the continent. So they staked that claim. Who came in at that time? The Scottish and the Irish. Yeah. Scottish and Irish knew something about distillation. Okay. And they were doing it well before they came to the thing. So now they have, they're they're planting the native plant, which is corn. Mm -hmm. And that was introduced to us by Native Americans. And now they have all this corn excess. What are they going to do with it? They're going, they're going to distill it. Distill so it, now yeah. we have it. So now, so these are the things, these are the beginnings. Again, nobody said, Hey, we're going to make bourbon and we're going to make it here. No, it was just a byproduct of other things that influenced it throughout, throughout yeah. history. And then it's just, I mean, they're just a small skip in a, in a throw away from like, if you look at the bigger picture that boils down into moonshiners and then moonshining turns into NASCAR racing. I mean, it's, yeah, well, it's just, yeah, and and I and, and and I know a little bit about that. I'm not so familiar, but I do know there is a reference from you know people having to uh, swiftly transport um, mm-hmm. spirits uh, around, and, and next thing you know, we have uh, stock cars, yeah, and, stock cars, and the whole bit. So yeah, it's just you know I always find that kind of like expansion, the ripple effect is just kind of as beautiful as just seeing the the pure history behind you know like you were saying, just behind one particular spirit or thing like that. The ripple effect is really beautiful. And so I will ask you kind of a lot of questions now about the business. What's one thing that made you consider or really kind of come to terms with, aha, this is 
my moment. This is my, like, this is going to work as a business. What was kind of one event that happened? Well, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, just the fact that Mixology 101 at Sanctuary was growing to be, number one, such a revenue producer. We did it at the slowest time of the week and people came. And um, then um, what clicked for me is that people were really starting to pay attention and they were having fun still, but they were really starting to pay attention to how drinks were made. And they were asking questions about how drinks were made. Along the same time at Jade Bar, we developed a drink making system and we were starting to teach that to people as well. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, we'll say that everything that has happened to food soon after happens to spirits and cocktails. So farm to table movement, craft spirits movement soon came along. Um, You know, the origins of what we have now, you know, nowadays you can get great food anywhere, even out of a food truck, right? Yep. Well, the same thing with cocktails is that it's slowly coming to the point where you have more and more restaurants and everything developing small little cocktail programs. And, you know, you may not get the cocktail you could get at a Century Grand or at an Endertow, but you can get a nice cocktail. Yeah. Um, and so, so we started getting that. And then we started getting people who would repeat to come back to Sanctuary over and over again to learn these different uh, drink making techniques. And I'm like, well, this makes perfect sense for the first, for the past 20, 25 years, we've had what? We've had the home chef. You know, when I was a kid, there were maybe four or five, and I'm older than you are, I'm sure I'm 51 years old. There was maybe five or six cooking shows on PBS on Saturday morning, and that was it. Mm -hmm. It soon developed into a multi-billion dollar um, business with its own one or two networks, right? So you had the food network and celebrity chefs. Well, that started happening. As that happened, you had home chefs, people revisiting the kitchen, buying the tools, your Hinkle's knives and your Cuisinart's and your, you know, uh, you know, your different mixers. So they were really much, what I think is going to happen. Number one is that drinks across the Valley here, you're going to be able to get a Sazerac or an old fashioned and it's going to be a good one no matter where you go. Yeah. And then what's going to happen is, and it's starting to happen now is your home bartender. And so the same interest that was in cooking when I'll be in uh, when bartending and now all these classics obviously have re-sprouted and everything, but in my opinion, that's what you need to have in order to be a great bartender. But anyway, that's another thing altogether, but I think people are going to start buying bar tools and, you know, investigating different spirits and everything yeah. like that and having their home bars and, and, and having tools. And now when you go to somebody's home, they're not going to hand you a beer. They're going to hand you an old fashioned. They're going to hand you a daiquiri. And that's really something sexy and really something uh, hospitable. And, and really that's what bartending is about is hospitality. Yeah. And I, that's, it's just, it's so different to think about in the, in the terms of like, you know, a millennial, like you said, like my age group is just like, we're so, on board for immediate satisfaction where it's now become the seltzer said, you know, I've all these seltzers that are being canned and put into, you know, the new generation of like drinks and being, I just, you know, I really do. Like you said, it's uh, the hospitable part about, you know, having the cocktails is like, there's a level of like enjoyment watching it being made and, and having it being, um, you know, given to you. And, and there's a, there's a level of like, sequence of having a cocktail being ordered and then given to you. And I think that that's, 
enjoyable. I think that's why I like places like uh, in downtown Phoenix. Uh, what is it? The uh, Spirit? The I my blanking. Bitter and twisted. Bitter and twisted. Yes. Bitter and twisted. They do a great job over there. Yeah. 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 So it's like that. I think the enjoyment is still there for a couple of people that who really do have a level of like, you know, enjoyment for the craft. Yeah, I think, and I think, you know, and the, the thing is, I think places like Bitter and Twisted, like Undertow, like Brickyard and Chandler, mm-hmm. um, they're exposing people to these cocktails. And I think people have an interest in it. And I think, you know, and I hate to say this, COVID has really reintroduced us to the fact of, well, I don't want to go to a bar, but I do want that. So maybe I can make it at home. And you see corporate events that are virtual everywhere where they're sending their employees uh, little gift baskets with bar tools and, and syrups. And all they have to do is go by the, uh, by, uh, by the the spirits. And then they have all the other stuff involved. And so that's really hot right now is the virtual uh, classes. Yeah. And um, it's, is that something that you found? What was your like first impression of that? What was your, as someone who's, you know, trained for these in-person courses and, and things like that, what was the transition like to move away from that and into kind of this, this reality of Zoom calls and chats like that? Well, we have, I have, you know, Cocktail U hasn't gone virtual yet. Um, I'm just going to say we have plans to, mm-hmm. but um, there's a lot of little things that have to go along with that. Yep. Um, but as far as, you know, in general, I'm all for anybody having interest in cocktails, whether it be virtually, in person, mm-hmm. talking on the phone. As long as there's an interest in making cocktails at home, Cocktail You wins. Because, um, they're, you know, one of the things that we do is, like I said, in home, what we've noticed is that they may not want to go to a bar, but they do have a circle of friends that they're with all the time anyway. Right. Yeah. So they're not going to be around 40, 50 people, but you know what? These guys are coming to my house anyway. I'm not letting these people, they're going to come in. So why not bring the bar to, uh, uh, to us? And that's what cocktail you does. And we do it in a safe way. Excuse me. Let me. No worries. We do it in a safe way. Our, <clears throat> our instructors are masked. Um, obviously we take all standard here, you know, we social distancing or anything like that. Now, mm-hmm. whether the guests social distance or not, <laughs> we have no <laughs> that's control over that, yeah. right? That's, so, that's out know, of your control. But, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to Sunday and it's a uh, 40th wedding anniversary for a couple, but, and they have their kids around them. Well, I'm willing to bet they have their kids around them all the time. So, but we do, you know, as, as instructors, we respect that and we uh, to keep a safe way. Uh, we have everybody have their own bar tools and we portion off everybody's things so that they can shake their own cocktails and the whole bit. And although they may be all over each other, we are not all over them. So. Yeah, that's good. And that's something that I've, I've asked everyone from when this started is just some things that have to be pivoted into safety protocols and things like that. And I, that comes with the learning from, you know, learning mm-hmm. by doing essentially and uh, rolling with the punches, so to speak. I'm very interested in kind of your history and like what what was your first cocktail that kind of got you into wanting to do mixology and cocktails? Well, I was trained by um, 80s bartenders. 
Uh, I started bartending. My first bartending job was at a place called Nola's at the Biltmore. Okay. And if you know the Biltmore now, there is on the far east part, I want to say it's either a Ralph Lauren store or maybe it's something that used to be Ralph Well, that used to be a group of restaurants on the second floor. Ah. And there used to be a, a restaurant called Steamers and a, uh, a bamboo club used to be there. Roxanne, which was a great, great restaurant back in the day. There was even a place called Hops. And who was well before their time and what they did, and this was their quote unquote gimmick, they brewed their own beer. <laughs> and so they were way ahead of their time. It was a gimmick for them and got it, you know, but, uh, and they had eventually gone out of business, but I tell you what, the best half of ice I've ever had. And I wish they would just open nice. up, uh, you know, so, but, um, and, uh, I worked at Nola's and I was a server and, uh, you know, the owner, the manager, general manager, his name is Jeff, uh, Jeff Myers, he says, hey, how would you like to attend bar? And I'm like, no, I'm all right, because I was going to school and I was going to teach, right? And he goes, I think it'd be good. And and he said, no, I don't want to. He goes, well, you can either attend bar or you can get another job. So I said, okay, I'll attend bar. Okay. So that started me on my bartending career. In my late 30s, I was introduced to classic cocktails by a job at the Gila River Casino. And they said, hey, we're going to have this new you know, bar and it's going to use fresh juices. Now, keep in mind, I've been making margaritas with neon green margarita mix <laughs> out of a plastic bottle for 17 years. Yeah. And, you know, it was really about hospitality. And I thought I made great drinks. And, but then I was introduced to this film. At the same time, I wrote a book called Imbibe by David Wendrich. It was a James Beard Award winning uh, book. I recommend that to all bartenders. I tell them, do you want to be a bartender? Then you need to read this book first and foremost. And it had a lot of history and it's basically the history of bartending in the United States. Um, And really I caught the bug as they say. Mm. And at that time there were some things going on. Cowboy Chow had, uh, I believe Richie Moe, Jason Asher, uh, Tyson Bueller, Michael Olson, Jillian Vos, Kyle Mason, they were doing their stuff at Jade. And I just started getting hot for it. And I started basically uh, starting to read, and I tried to get in a lot of these places that were doing, and there wasn't a lot, but there were a few that were doing cocktails and fresh juice and everything like that. Nobody wanted a 40-year-old bartender, though. So uh, <laughs> so I had to teach myself. And uh, then my, at the time, what I thought I would never get in, yeah. I, uh, I uh, applied to Jade Bar four times, wow. and then they hired me the fourth time. And... Uh, and I tell you what, it would, and when, and I got hired in March of 2013, in October of 2013, they uh, brought the new bar on and it was a ride that um, I have nothing but fond memories of. We did bar brawl, we uh, Nirvana food and wine, nice. uh, a great crew, a very, very, uh, a top resort, not only in the state, but in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we all look at each other sometimes and we say, how the heck do we get so good? Because <laughs> we're a bunch of nuts. It's just nuts here. I mean, this is crazy. How does it, how is it that we're this good? But it was a great ride and I would have never been able to do um, what I do, what I'm doing now if it hadn't been for Sanctuary. Yeah. And really the cocktails um, really came along. And, and, and when I first started Sanctuary, I thought I knew everything. And then, like they say, it's after... It's everything you know after you know everything is when you start learning. And I did a lot of learning at Sanctuary about about drinks, obviously, but about hospitality and the bar business and people Mm -hmm. and uh, great, great experience. 
Good, good. I like I like hearing those types of stories where it's like you're still learning even after you've learned so much. It's it's important, I feel like as especially as you get older and grow and more, it's like you should still educate yourself. You know, I've been studying this for 10 years and every time I turn around, I realize, God, I don't know anything. I just don't know anything. And yeah, once in a while, I'm fortunate enough to sit around more, you know, although they're younger bartenders, they're more experienced bartenders than I am. People like Jason Nasher or his wife, Kaylee Asher. And, you know, they'll be talking and I just, I'm just quiet and I'll just, <laughs> just, just listen shut up and just take it in because yeah. there are dead, those people like that are on another planet. So. Mm. I want to know uh, before, you know, a lot of the, the, the stuff started changing because of COVID, what was the, cause I know specific genres and areas and things like that have their subcultures um, in particular, there are different subcultures for the cocktail business and, and one being the Southwest area and being Arizona and who we are. One thing that I noticed was a lot of spicier cocktails coming out. And it could be just from j- just in general, the overall masses enjoyed spicier cocktails. But I wanted to get your impression of Arizona's culture when it comes to cocktails and what you saw and experienced or what you are seeing and experiencing now? Well, I mean, if you're familiar with the Spirit Awards, um, it is basically the Oscars for cocktail bars uh, around the world. Um, I think that, and and I'll just flat out say it, I think the Arizona cocktail uh, scene is second to none. Um, I'll put them on the same level of New York, San Francisco, Denver, any day of the week. Okay. We have people that have come from Arizona. Again, I go back to, and again, I go back to my, my taste for history. You know, Jay Bar for me was, it was Yankee Stadium. It was Fenway Park. It was, uh, you know, because of the people that were there before me. Mm-hmm. You know, these people that were there at Jay Bar, they don't only change the way people drink in Arizona, but people, the way people drink throughout the world. And these are, you know, great bar professionals. Uh, and it's not just them. It's, you know, it's Ross Simon at Bitter and Twisted. It's Bobby Kramer and his crew over at Brickyard. Uh, Richie Moe has made a big impact, uh, who's at Billy Bourbon and Bones now. So all these people who are, are much more recognizable names than mine, um, they, you know, they have brought the level of Arizona cocktail culture to a very high level. Um, Aaron DeFeo over at Literal Rituals is uh, a, a, another example. And, and, and then everybody, I know there's so many, I could, we could do a whole show of just me naming off names. But um, as far as the spicy uh, cocktails are concerned, that may speak to a few things. Um, it may speak to what tourists are expecting when they come to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I am from, the back, from back east or if I'm from the Midwest, and I come to Arizona, I may be thinking tequila, certainly margarita, mm-hmm. uh, certainly spicy yeah. because of, our, of the, you know, I mean, I'm from originally from Tucson. It's not as much here, but in Tucson, I mean, you know, you have the, I, I'm sorry if I offend anybody, the Chicano culture in my, you know, I, I grew up, uh, you know, on Fourth Avenue and right by Randolph Park. So, you know, my family is, you know, we're all, you know, we're all second generation, the, the yeah. generation, we, 
we're only second generation in the United States. Everybody else was from Mexico. And so I think that there's this, like, people think it's the Wild West, right? For yeah. those who haven't been out here, they yeah. still think they're going to, you know, up until about five years ago, you're still thinking that people from back east are going to come over here and see people on horses. So they have this, there's this stigma that, you know, tequila, margarita, spicy food, so spicy mm-hmm. drinks. So sometimes bars and cultures maybe even have to play into that in order for sales and because it's still a business. So that yeah. may have something to do with that. But yeah. I think that Arizona really um, covers all flavors um, and, and they really, um, they're just, um, you know, they're, there's not, they're really not limited by, by the culture here in Arizona as far as, as far as what goes in their drinks. Yeah. And I was just kind of speaking to and attesting to like, just drinks that I've seen in passing through my own kind of like party festivities and yeah. different cocktail events that I've been to. It's just like, it's always a level of, of spice that I saw from those events. Well, you're not wrong at all. And at Sanctuary, um, you know, we, a, a drink that was developed by Jason Asher and Michael Olson was called the Fiery Mandarin. Hmm. And it was a combination of vodka, um, orange zest, cranberry, lemon, and simple syrup. But it had a muddled Serrano. Okay. So it had a little spice to it, which is the fiery Mandarin comes from. And I'm telling you right now, when I was the bar manager, after my second menu, I took that, those cocktails off. It is still the most popular cocktail today (laughs) at Jade Bar. It's just a great, great drink that speaks to a lot of people. It's refreshing. So, uh, no, you're right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, people like it. And I think the level of spiciness has gone up for food and everything in mm-hmm. our culture, uh, you know, regardless of what it is. So yeah, everything has yeah. to have something spicy. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so let me also like, I'm going to just start asking you kind of some of my own interest yeah. questions. And, um, one of the things that I've always enjoyed is kind of like how creative, the different ingredients go into and some are simpler than others where it's like, you know, um, some kind of go the some simplistic route, but what has, I'm always curious, what has been the most amount of items like placed in a cocktail for you? Like what's your most, um, I guess, adventurous drink that you've built or created? Well, creating kind of, that's a hard question to answer only because of my philosophy. So first thing we have to understand when it comes to cocktail making is nothing, everything's been done already. It's already been done. There are no new cocktails. Okay. Um, but if you're asking me what is the best different types of ingredients that I put together, mm-hmm. as far as quantity, I think that, um, I think it was five and it was a punch uh, style cocktail. It was called a Barbados bar tab. Okay. And it had Barbados rum, black tea, grapefruit liqueur, cinnamon simple syrup, and lime juice. Nice. So that's, and so that was really nice. Uh, as far as unique ingredients, uh, we did. I've done a uh, reposado tequila drink that had uh, ancho chili liqueur and banana liqueur. Wow. Um, and they call that uh, a malancho. And so, but I think I think that really my proudest moments with cocktail making is when it's the simplest and it speaks to people. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I tell you what, I, I, I made a living off of Tom Collins one summer (laughs) and you know, it's a simple drink, but it's refreshing. 
Yeah. It's uh, light. Uh, it's great on a summer day. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I, that's one thing I think that people get caught up in the amount of ingredients or being slow, quote unquote, creative. And what they don't understand, it's kind of in the same way. Again, I go back to my culture, you know, for me, you know, I remember as a kid eating beans and tortillas. And if you haven't, and if you haven't had it, <laughs> From the people who know how to make both homemade, mm-hmm. you haven't lived, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think every culture and I think every family has these simple things that, and it's part of it's a memory, you know, part of it is that, you know, you remember the love that was given to you in the whole bit, mm-hmm. but I don't care what anybody says, it tastes good. Yeah. And so, and it was simple. So, you know, a lot of times our most uh, satisfying meals and our most satisfying drinks are simple drinks. And mm-hmm. so uh, Tom Collins, for me, a Sazerac, which is basically an old fashioned from New Orleans. For me, that is a delicious, satisfying, wonderful, beautiful, elegant drink. And I love that drink. So mine is the mojito. But mojito. I, anytime I can get a, a solid mojito, my wife makes fun of me every time. I'm like, like, it's it's refreshing. I like it. It's refreshing. It has a couple things going on. It has the citrus and you have that yep. little refreshing mint and then you have some good rum. No, hey, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree I with it. you. <laughs> um, talking- oh, go okay. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm talking about simple cocktails. You know, I mean, I just mentioned Tom Collins, right? So for me, the mojito is the same drink. Mm-hmm. So it has a strong, a citrus, a sweet, okay, and then okay. soda water. Nice, okay, yeah, yeah. Now you add some mint. The only thing that is difference between Tom Collins and a mojito is where are you making it? So food and drinks are both influenced by region. Gotcha. Okay, so, you know, here I am talking about how refreshing a Tom Collins is. You're giving me the same story about a mojito, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really the same drink, so it's gotcha. a Collins cocktail. Okay. Gotcha. That's so, and then that's the kind of fun things you'll learn at your little class. I mean, I hope. <laughs> no, yeah. And you, you know, you're going to have to come out and attend one because, Absolutely. And, this is, and this is the thing that we want to get across to people. We want it to be approachable. We want it to be a, a hair down experience. You know, we want people to walk away saying, Oh wow, I could do that at home. Yeah, you can, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, we not want that, you <laughs> it's not that hard. And where the craft and where the real professional professionalism comes in is number one, can you do it at a profit? Mm-hmm. Number two, can you do it quickly for a lot amount of people? Mm-hmm. Can you do it while smiling? Can you entertain people with the hospitality? So there's yeah. a lot of things going on, you know, and, and that's where the professionalism comes in, as well as knowing about the different spirits and making the different combinations. But, you know, the thing is, if you have the discipline down first, like any other art form, um, then you're able to create after that. That's so good to hear. Um, let me, I, I got a couple more for you uh, really quickly. Um, how, how do you feel about the kind of uh, bar rescue bar, you know, these television shows that like go into helping bars and, and restaurants kind of uh, level up in a sort of way, you know, with the bartenders. I know for one of my favorite shows is Bar Rescue, like they kind of go through the simple course of like teaching them back again. Like here's the simple hospitality things that you need to know and, and kind of reference and work off of. Well, I think like any other quote unquote reality TV show, there's a lot of things that happen that we never see. Right. Mm-hmm. So they probably take three days and condense it into a half hour yeah. uh, show. 
And of course, they're also going to take the extreme cases on a place like Raw Rescue. They're never going to, you know, go to a place that, hey, they kind of have an idea. They just need a little touching up, right? They're going to go to something where it's extreme and there's a lot of stuff. And then they're going to amplify it. And they're going to take pictures of people that are frowning, that are smiling. Yeah. But I think that it's interesting in that I think it gives people a little bit of an insight of what goes on. Mm-hmm. I think it gives people an idea of, you know, a bar and like any other businesses and a little bit like a sports team. You know, we may watch the Cardinal, you know, we watched uh, Hopkins bring in that amazing catch yeah. at the end of the day, the end of the game the other day. And you know what? We cheered. It was great. And it was amazing. Right. But you know what? Nobody cheered when he was in the weight room. Yeah. There was nobody around practice. You know, there was no, nobody cares about that. All they care about is the end result, right? Yeah. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's nice that we, we see a little bit of, of what goes on behind the scenes because, you know, nobody sees uh, the work it takes to uh, put on a great bar every night. And it does take a lot of work, not just mm-hmm. by a manager, not, but, but, but by everyone. Yep. And people you wouldn't expect, the people, you know, the people in housekeeping and, and that come in and clean the whole bar and vacuum it and dust everything and do the windows. And then the gardener, you know, I mean, the, the landscaping people who have to trim the bushes and make everything beautiful. So your walk on the way up to the bar is beautiful. Yeah. You know, uh, just so there's so many things that go into that. It's kind of nice, again, to have people to see that. I think there's a little sensationalism in there, but there isn't every reality show. And we all know that mm-hmm. um, I, with consulting and stuff like that, I hope though that they give the bartenders more than just a drink menu to create. I hope they actually give them a philosophy or a drink making system mm-hmm. or something where they really understand how to make cocktails and how many cocktails are made. So that's my only hope in, 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 in programs like that. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank you again for, you know, taking the time out of your day to come in and, and do this with me. You have a really great voice and a really great grasp of, you know, history and understanding what's the culture like and everything like that. I'm kind of curious, have you ever thought about doing a podcast for yourself, like a culture related to, to spirits and everything like that? Well, I got to tell you, it's so funny that you ask, and I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm going to. Oh, God, when was it? It was 2000. 14, I okay. want to say I had a show on uh, KFNX. Okay. It was called the Arizona Cocktail Hour. Nice. We, uh, we won a Best of Phoenix Award, Best Cocktail Story or something like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've always wanted to go back to that. Um, that is as possible, you know. Yeah. Maybe an option with something called the Finding Arizona podcast. Hey, man, I um, can help you make that happen. I love doing yeah, this sort yeah. of stuff. And you have a, when you when I hear and see a talent, I definitely encourage people to go out and do it because I, I again, this is this is fun for me. All of this behind me, all of, you know, whatever's going on. This is not work to me. It's all just pure fun. And I really no, do. And it was, it was fun having the radio show. The, the problem was there was finances. And at the time I really wasn't a known face. I did have a, you know, AZ distilling helped me out a lot and they get, you were always generous with money and stuff like that. So, um, but now people are like, well, you should do a podcast. Cause you had that one show and it yeah. did well and people like it and everything like that. So mm-hmm. 
that might be uh, that might be something to think about for sure. Hey, man, if you need resources, you come to me. We will we will talk to some people. We will because like I told you off air, there's a podcast out there that literally they created a book. It's called the Arizona Beer Book. And mm-hmm. uh, the podcast is called Tap That AZ Podcast. Shout out to Eric, the host of that. Uh, he's yeah, incredible. and I know I think I follow him on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So it's like you know his his trek to making the podcast come to be was kind of the same as yours. He didn't know if he could do it or even approach something as you know such a creative outlet like that because he wasn't from the creative field or anything like that. But you know his he he worked at it and i i'm so proud of him and what his team has been able to create but again it's like when i see people who have the passion and talent for what they do and can be utilized in the form of podcasting i'm definitely encouraging you to do that and let if you need help along the way let me know i would love to help you out well i may reach out you know rob fulmer who is head of the arizona craft brewers guild he was a guest of mine several times nice uh, so if you ever meet Rob, if you ever see yeah. Rob or, or talk to him, let him know. I said, hey, the guy from the Arizona Cocktail Hour, I had him on. He'll know who you're talking about. And, and I had a wine guy and we had bartenders on and everything like that. It was it was it was very, very fun. The finances, yeah. though, I mean, it was, it was it was a lot of money. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a tough rig uh, to like once you get everything settled, like with, you know, how it all works out and recording and everything, it, it becomes a little bit easier, more of a like you know, setting time, time, time to do it and work at it. And so like anything else, you know, time and work and you'll accomplish all. I'll say, I have a question for you. Is there any way I could just get a little shout out to my weekly classes that are going to be starting in sat- on Saturday? Absolutely. This is the time for it. Actually, I was going to go and transition into it. So this is a time towards the end where we pitch it off to you to let everyone know where they can find you online, any social media that you have, any events, because I know you have some courses coming up that I'm very excited about. One in particular is the holiday party one. And then the, uh, the gin one that's, or the, uh, the gin one. Yeah. The gin one that's in January. So please let us know what you have going in, into the books coming up. Well, obviously you can reach out to me at cocktailuaz.com. Um, that is our website and you can uh, reach out, give us a little bio about myself, uh, gives you a little bit of idea of what the classes are like. There's some fun pictures on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at Instagram at cocktailuaz. And we've been so fortunate. Shout out to Joe Arachi at the House Brasserie in Old Town. Uh, we are going to be starting on December 12th with Holiday Party, December 19th with Champagne Cocktails. And I believe uh, January 9th is vodka, January 16th is gin, and I believe the 23rd is rum. Awesome. And so that's all we have right now. Um, classes are limited to 10 people. Because uh, this is kind of what our state is dictating right now. Mm-hmm. It's fifty-five dollars a piece, and it comes with three cocktails, a lot of fun, and some history. Awesome. And Eddie, uh, if you are interested too, I have a friend that um, him and his partner created um, a mascal brand, a mascal company. Are you talking about Karen? Yeah, mascal Karen. I know Ivan. Yeah. Ivan. All right. Awesome. Those guys are amazing. I would suggest yeah. talking to them and creating maybe a, a course for just Pascal because they have, they, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. No one works as hard as those two guys. Those two guys are one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in the spirit business. 
Well, you know, we, you know, it's funny when we were at, um, when I was at Sanctuary, a long story coming to this and I'm spare you that, but there is a, there was a band in the late, uh, like around two, 2008, 2009. And uh, they were called, God, now I don't know, but Miguel Melgosa, if you're familiar with Miguel Melgosa, a local music artist. Okay. Um, and he had a band and I saw him at Sanctuary. The long and the short of it, I said, hey, I'm going to have that band back. He goes, well, we don't really play with each other. I said, I don't care. I want that band back. And I want him here at Sanctuary. <laughs> so Miguel Melgosa is like, okay, so they're taking this. He wants to get this band that sings mainly 80% of their songs in Spanish <laughs> at the Sanctuary Resort. I said, it's going to happen. Sure enough, we did that. And nice. Carreño, Mescal Carreño was part of one of the things. And um, and I tell you what, it was, Cascabel was the name of the band. Oh, okay. And, uh, they were a great, great band. And we played, we had a Latin nights at Sanctuary and they played music and people danced. It was great. But I know Ivan uh, from uh, uh, Mescal Carreño, and I'm sorry, I forgot who the other person's name was, but... Um, uh, but yeah, they came and they supported one night. So yeah, I do know those guys. And we do have a tequila mezcal uh, uh, um, class coming up. It'll probably be a couple weeks after the rum class. So okay. we go through all the spirits. And then what we do is we go into cocktail structure. And awesome. So I, again, I really do appreciate you coming on to the show and you know telling us all about you know uh, Cocktail U. Ladies and gentlemen, before we go, you can hear every episode of our podcast at FindingArizonaPodcast.com. We make it easy for you guys to connect with us through social media. That's all under Finding Arizona Podcast. So tell us who you want in next. Last but not least, if you want to become a super fan, you can go do so over at Patreon.com slash FindingArizonaPodcast, where we have bonus content ready for you over there. And that concludes our episode here with Eddie. Thank you again. I, I appreciate you so much for coming in. I really Thank do. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. Again, uh, we say goodbye to Eddie here and goodbye to Cocktail U and good night to all of you listening out there. Thank you so much.